Hello, Logic friends. This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by Cinesis.io. These guys have been my reseller for over 15 years, and we could not do what we do without them. They're fantastic partners, no matter what size your business. To find out more about their remote workflow solutions, check them out at Cinesis.io. If you haven't signed up for the forum yet, do it now at forum.logic.tv. It is the number one place for flame artists. We have nearly a thousand users, lightning fast response times, and over 120,000 page views per month. Plus, you'll get access to the Logic Discord server for real-time audio and video chat. Sign up for free at forum.logic.tv. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. How about you? Oh, I'm doing not so bad. I think it's amazing how, okay, uh, I'm gonna, I'm resisting temptation to put like the music that they would play at the old timers game for the both of us, you know, like under this conversation. Well, isn't that something about peanuts and Cracker Jack? I think I'm allergic to both of them now. (laughs) I think it's amazing how full circle so much of like post-production has become. Meaning like we started and we started out in like, I guess you could say in the age of single purpose technology, you know, you had a box that did this and a box that did that. It, it was rooms, you know, filled with oh, yeah. equipment. Absolutely. And uh, Absolutely. then everything kind of went, you know, it, it kind of all became appified or software. You know, you had one machine to rule them all. And now I don't know about you, but I'm sitting in a room now with one, two, three, four, uh, five screens, uh, two keyboards, two drawing tablets, and four computers. You know, I, same thing as somebody, you know, mentioned to me that I, you know, I don't do email on my phone. Why don't I do email on my phone? Well, I have access to seven computers in my daily life. (laughs) Why would I ever want to use my phone like this when I have all of this in front of me? It's the only time I can't do email is when I'm walking between work and home. It's like, I'm not going to do that anyway, you know, so. All right, but let's just dive right in here with uh, really the only questions that matter at all. Okay. In the year of our Lord 2022, um, horizontal or vertical reels? Dude, reels are so last millennia. Uh, I, I don't use reels. I don't use horizontal. I don't use vertical. I don't use sometimes for maybe 30 seconds a day, I'll use the open desktop that Smoke used to have. But I do everything now off the little panel on the media panel on the side and i keep it on the right hand side wow and and everybody thinks i'm crazy and joanne keeps it on the right hand side and it's not because of me but the fact of the matter is if i have to reach for things in that panel incessantly like i do i want it by my right hand i don't want to have to reach across the tablet for it i'm going to try that actually that sounds like something i need to try yeah, I, if I were a lefty, I'd use it on the left side. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, I'm not a lefty, so. All right, so you're a library fan. Uh, smoke hotkeys or flame hotkeys? Smoke hotkeys, all the way. All right. This is not for me to judge. This is just so that everybody knows. Like, uh, I, I could give your, like, biography or something, but it doesn't matter. All that no. matters is direction of reels and your hotkeys. And now the camps can, you know, the, the tribes can kind of right. get ensconced. And, they can, and, you, they know, can you know, tune out. Or, if they right. Want. They can like love you or hate you from the very beginning. So and, all downhill from here for half of And half there you of go. Us. I wanted to ask you, 
How long have you been working in post-production? Uh, I've been working in post-production since early 1981. So I would be going on 41 years now. In your 41 years, what's the one thing you can call out that's gotten better? It's not an industry-wide thing. It's I think it's just for me that I don't have people on my back nearly as much as I do. And I don't have to work the long hours that I used to. I used to put in deadly long hours. I would put in weeks at a time of 12 to 16 hour days. I, I don't think I can count on my hands and toes how many 24 hour days I've put in. You know, and, and I, don't, I don't do that anymore. That, and, and nor do I see other people doing it. Um, so I think that's a huge improvement. It's not, it's not killing us as fast. <laughs> that is the most optimistic pessimism I think I've ever heard. And it's one of the many reasons why I love you. Why do you think it's changed that way? I think it has a lot to do with the equipment. I think it has a lot to do with the kind of workflow that we've adapted. Remember, I, I work in the advertising you know, end of it. And that's primarily what I've been doing the whole 41 years. You know, I, I was, if there, there's any time you could say someone was born to do a job, I feel I was born to do the job I do. It, 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 it checks all my, all my boxes. You know, it lets me be creative. It lets me not care, just do the work the best I can. It often lets me just focus by myself for hours and hours at a time with nobody bothering me. And also it lets me be very social when I have to and, and collaborate. You know, it, it just, it does it all. Plus, I just love television commercials. You know, I, I, that's what I wanted to do my whole life. Somehow, I, I, you know, when, when I see these things on Facebook that say, you know, if, if you could go back and do it all over again, what would you want to do? Or, you know, if you could, could have followed your dreams, what they would have been. It's like, well, this, this was my dream. I, I moved to New York without ever having set foot here in my life to make television commercials. And, and I did. Right out of school? Right out of college, right out of Syracuse. I knew nobody. I knew nobody in the business. I had a connection on a place to stay. But I'd never set foot in the city in my life, ever, wow. to the day I moved here. So you moved here in 1981. Yep. And where did you start your career at? What was that first job? Well, I stumbled around for a few months and finally landed my first full-time job at a place called Windsor Total Video. Oh, Yeah. It was a very, very small place run by a couple of partners who were very old school. You know, it was a B-list place. It wasn't an A-list place. I mean, they did real work and they had real equipment and all the good stuff, but they didn't do, they didn't do national commercials and stuff like that. It was all, all second tier stuff. And they were, they were not nice to work for. I'll, I'll just leave it at that, <laughs> you know, and you know, they, they, they managed people by, telling them that they're lucky they have a job and they'll never succeed anywhere else. You should stick with us. And it was a sort of place that when the top guy left, everybody moved up one. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I just wasn't really good with that sort of atmosphere. Uh, I stuck it out for a year and then a, a top guy left, everybody moved up and they were, <laughs> instead of moving me up, they moved a guy who would come in after me. So I figured, you know, at that point it was time Bye. for me to go. Yeah. <laughs> And then I got a job at a union shop. So I, this was uh, for my second year, I was in the union. It was a company called Teletronics, which was part of the Video Corporation of America, which mm -hmm. was 
it had a huge, huge division of the nascent technology of duplication for the home market. Wow. Um, and, and we were the original video facility that the people had started. And then the duplication business was one of the things they branched off into and it became the big, big moneymaker. But we were the flagship post facility. It was one mm-hmm. of the first, you know, independent post facilities in, you know, in New York. Um, they had started in the early 70s. Everything beyond, earlier than that was mostly the network stuff. Sure. You know. So you got your break there. You went to the, the union shop. What were you doing there? Well, we, it was a startup for that particular company for um, what they called their satellite division. And they were broadcasting or cable casting the Cable Health Network. And hmm. they hired 30 people. I was number 29 out of 30, I think. And that put me at the bottom of the union roster. I was, you know, the second to the last guy. And after a year, the whole cable thing didn't work out that well. And by then I had established myself rather well with the company and they paid off everybody ahead of me to not complain to the union so that I could keep my job. Wow. At which point they sent me downstairs and I became an editor. I was an editor doing national commercials two and a half years in the business. Wow, man, that's great. And, uh, you know, I was, I was their wonder kid. And, you know, after, after a few years there and then on to Post Perfect, I became, you know, this big star in the industry. It was amazing. You know, everybody wanted to work with me. And, you know, I was, all the, I was the name that, you know, all the directors found when they'd ask around who's the best. And, mm-hmm. you know, Zbigniew Ruzinski said to me, you know, I asked, I asked 10 different people and, and you were the only one who was on all 10 lists. Wow. But of course, you know, after a few more years, you know, the business changes, you know, we all change and, you know, my, you know, my star didn't really It's a big new Brzezinski isn't taking your calls anymore. No, no, actually he probably would, but you know, just to chat. I'm waving hi to Joanne. Yes. He has has just walked in. In case anybody wondered if this is happening live. No, it's not live. It's going to be edited. Yeah. I, well, so I, I, not this part. Uh, not this part, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is it. So, you know, it, but it, it was at Post Perfect. We got our first flame. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started on flame. So when that came in, like when that first flame came in to Post Perfect, and, and I'm, I'm going to guess this is like 92, 93, 94. It was 95. Like it was 95. Okay, 95. You would think it would be earlier, but contrary to what one might think the giant mega post facilities tend to be like a couple of years behind some of the smaller people. And so flame was out for a few years before they would actually, you know, remember it's this huge corporate structure behind these places. And when you're going to cough up a million and a half dollars for one computer and the software that doesn't even count the room you got to put it in, Mm -hmm. then, you know, they're, they, they take a long time to make those decisions, you know. Can I interrupt? Shoot. If you want to hear about the early years, you, you realize you'd get an entirely different story about Tim Farrell's early years from me than you would from him. Uh-oh. Right? I see a part two. Planting that little. Yeah, well, <laughs> of course, you know, she missed the first 10 of them, so. No. This has got to be, it'll be like the, um, like the. in 89. 89. Okay. 
it'd be like the newly newlywed game for a visual effects artist. And here's right. what Joanne thought you would say. Right. So when they brought that flame into Post Perfect, was it one of these things where situations where they they kind of they trained a, a bunch of the the editors on, or you know, did they take you all to a whisper suite at NAB and show you what they were about bringing home, like that kind of thing? No, what they did was they hired a trainer. I'm not quite sure who it might have been. It might have been Denis Pellerin, but I can't quite remember. And they gave all of Post Perfect three days. It was three eight-hour sessions, but they wouldn't give me the time off to go to them. So out of those three <laughs> days, I sat in for a total of three and a half hours. And then the next week, I did my first job on national commercials. Oh, that's wild. But, you know, I, I it was enough to see the process of how it mm-hmm. worked. You know, I'd, it, you gotta, I, I was fortunate that I was started in this business at the dawn of the digital age. And so I got to learn everything from the bottommost steps. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it started with, with the Quantel, with the, the vital squeeze zoom and the Quantel 5000 <laughs> that, you know, if you paid for the extra package, you could take the picture and make it do that. Yeah. T- you know, tilt back. <laughs> or tilt back. Exactly. But yeah. not all the way, just a little bit. And then yep. the ADO came out. It was only eighty thousand dollars, probably, for the board that that, oh, that it was tilted lo- back in perspective right, or something. Exactly, and then the ADO came out, and so I learned that from the bottom up, and mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't really have any competition because we were all starting at the bottom, right? So I got to learn all of this stuff bit by bit by bit, and I got to understand how the engineers thought of these things, and 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 I learned to you know what to expect when I sat at a new piece of equipment. And mm-hmm. the flame was really, really intuitive. You know, I had to do the same thing with the HAL, and it was not anywhere as intuitive. It was a lot more difficult. The flame, I just took right to it. It was mm-hmm. just, you know, this is this is what I'd been waiting for, you know, all my life. So had you had you done anything like nonlinear before then, or did you come from like a tape-to-tape online suite? Well, we had, interestingly enough, no. <laughs> I mean, we had we had a we had a Harry, you know, and and I'd used a Harry for years. And when I worked at Teletronics, they invested in one of the very first nonlinear devices called the Montage. Um, wow! And what they had was thirty six Betamax machines that ran at SSLP, where they recorded all nine hours of your dailies on all 32 machines. And then it would, you know, had to sync all those machines up. If they had done that with like discs or something, it would have been great. But, you know, it's sometimes it took five minutes to sync up and edit, you know, it's like, Oh my all these God. Machines had to shuttle. Um, and then the very first Avids came to post perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and we opened up uh, a division with uh, a man named Don Levy, Don um, Levy, Don Levy. And Don brought us his Avids. I mean, I said he brought us, but, you know, it was his company, but he, mm-hmm. he worked with us. And I sat in an Avid for five minutes and said, not really for me. As the nonlinear stuff progressed, I, I, I decided more and more I didn't really want to be an editor anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just didn't. I have a 30-second attention span. 
Oh, right. You were born. You were born to do this job. I was born to make commercials, you know. And this stuff, you'd have to screen hours and hours of talking heads. It's like, no, I'm not going to do that. You screen them, and then when you got, you know, the talking head you want, tell me what you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to sit there and watch the other, you know, seventy four hours of that stuff. It's like, ugh. it's so funny. I was an undergrad at NYU. Uh, studying film, and I was taking an editing class, like a film editing class, Steenbeck and 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 uh-huh. tape and razor blades and everything, with an instructor. I th- want to say her name was Julie Sloan or Julie Stone, but she took us on a field trip to Post Perfect, where Don Levy was showing off like their first Avid or something like that. Uh-huh. I remember like being the only one in that class who asked questions. Like on that demo, I was asking, well, wait, how, how, what frame rate can you play by? How big are the drives? And how much can you store? And what resolution are you working at? It was AVR 77. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was, it was like, it was mind-blowing. And yeah. then I ended up bugging him for a job, and ultimately I got one. And here we are today. Great guy, Don. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember your first flame job? Do you remember that? You said that after oh, three absolutely. and a half hours of training, you were then on a national commercial. What a- was absolutely. it? Absolutely. It was for Club Med. And <laughs> the, the, uh, it ha- they went and shot it in the Cayman Islands 20 minutes after a hurricane moved out. And they said it was the most miserable job they'd ever shot. They were there for a week. There was no fresh water. The toilets... You know, the toilets didn't flush. The, it, they shot something outside and, and on a green screen. And off to the side of the green screen, you could see where all the palm trees had been mowed down by this hurricane. And so they just threw all this footage at us and said, here. And they, they just wouldn't, they barely showed up. And I just got to sit and play with this machine and uh, make a couple of commercials. I still have one of them somewhere. It's called... Uh, Lombada, and uh, <laughs> it starts with the stars dancing in the sky, uh, uh-huh. doing the Lombada. And that was done by Rick Spain. Oh, my God. The late Rick Spain. Yeah. I did all the compositing and the green screen of, of the dancers on a dock over the ocean with the moon in the background and shit. It was, um, it was really, really fun. I mean, I was there, you know, probably 16 hours a day doing mm-hmm. it but it was incredible fun and I was totally hooked on the machine. And then they made Rick the, uh, the senior artist and he stayed there for about four years and I continued, maybe three years. And I continued to be the editor who would get to do flame jobs on occasion. I and, got to do a club med. And yes, Joanne got to work on club med as well. <laughs> and there was, there was about That's five That's actually spots. the sound of Tim's conscience. That's not Joanne. Well, there was about five different spots, and I only did uh, a couple of them. I didn't do them all. Mm-hmm. And then when Rick left, uh, I lobbied hard because the linear business was crashing and burning, and I so wanted to be on flame permanently. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. They they finally relented, and they put me on flame. Sadly, you know, I this in the early days of flame, you kind of needed to be more of an artist than I am. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I was an editor and, and I was an editor's artist, but you know, if, if you wanted to make a title that showed that your detergent worked with the power of Mount Fuji, it's like, <laughs> I'm probably not your guy, mm-hmm. you know, but if you want to tell me that that actual, that specific ask 
like came across your desk one day? Uh, it came across it came across our designer's desk. Uh, I believe <laughs> I was sitting in the background when I heard it. But yes, we, and and I won't I I won't be say it with a racist Asian accent. But he said I want it to look like it cleans with the power of Mount Fuji. <laughs> it was a simpler time. Then it was very cultural. Anybody who was Japanese would have said, "Oh yeah, right, okay, I get mm-hmm. that." Absolutely. And yes. to us, it was like totally alien. But you know, Earl was our designer. He made it happen. <laughs> you know, and 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 you know what Earl said to do, I did. You know. The thing I remember so like vividly about that time was that everything was new. Like everything was a first. And I'm I'm being only slightly hyperbolic when I say that, but you know, we were always asked to do things, challenged to do things, and it was the first time not only you had done it, but like anybody had done it. That's right. I had a couple of those instances. I, I mentioned my friend Earl a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, great designer. He got he landed a the opening and graphics for the European broadcast of Wimbledon one year and decided he wanted to do one of those those uh, bullet cam things. Aye. And the bullet cam, it, it had been seen a couple of times, but it was always still photos. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to do it where you spun around and then they went live and Oh my God! What a beast that was. Yep. We shot it. It took a it took a long time to build the rigs. We could never get enough cameras. Then everything was all thirty five millimeter still film, so it all had to be drum scanned. Mm-hmm. And then we couldn't get enough cameras, so to make it go slow enough, we had to do a three frame morph in between every every image. So I think I probably did about a hundred three frame morphs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this was before there was, this didn't, this was before there was even time warp with motion. With, with motion. Yeah. We, you know, you, the, none of that existed. I and remember so, doing, uh, doing one of those early on. It was like the, I don't remember what the, what the inspiration, I don't think it was the matrix that made like all commercials. You know, that happens. There's like something it really was, cool. It was and lost then, in space. It was lost in space. Oh, okay. I, I was thinking the gap. Remember that gap ad? Yes, so where that everybody was, was dancing, and then you know that that I, was also a big one. But I that was I think that was that was um, inspired by Lost in Space. Okay, came out just a little bit after we did the Wimbledon Open, and we got we got nominated for an Emmy for it. And you know, me and Earl got to go to the uh, the sports Emmys. Oh wow! And uh, you know, I'd already won a news Emmy for you know for. Uh, my Gulf War graphics. Name drop, name drop, name drop. Yeah. And uh, so this was a sports Emmy. And we'd look at all the other people we were up against, and it would be Fox football. And they'd list like 50 people that worked on it, you know. And then mm-hmm. there'd be, you know, Monday night football or, you know, eight, or, or, or Saturday night baseball or whatever. And they'd have these huge list of people. And then there was, you know, the Wimbledon Open. And it was me and Earl. Yeah. And it was the only one where when they played it in the in the room, everybody gasped. But unfortunately, one of the, you know, it was an honor to be nominated. It was an honor to be nominated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember like there was always a progression for those like crazy groundbreaking visual effects. There'd be something uh, earth shattering, like again, like the Matrix or Lost in Space or that that gap ad. And then there would be a round of of advertisers who would want to do it right, 
Like there'd be money behind it and they'd do it right. It was never right, of course, because, you know, like you said, you had to do a hundred three frame morphs. I remember doing one where it was, it was like a guy on a trampoline or something. They put black tape on a basketball that was on a pole. And that was like the thing we stabilized. And I'm doing air quotes on a podcast because it was all, I mean, it was, these were cameras that were aimed in three dimensions on film that was film yeah. and then yeah. drum scanned. I mean, it was just, it was a nightmare. Yeah. But then if you made it through that, you got to work on the low budget hack <laughs> uses of these. I remember doing an antacid commercial where the, the agency wanted to do bullet time and the, the frozen moment effect that they had was a guy lifting a spoonful of like antacid into his mouth. Like, Tim, you could have had the guy stand still and sit in like a swivel chair and just rotated the chair because it's just a guy holding a spoon. I've I've made spots like that. That's exactly what they did. Everybody freeze, you know, and then they'd pull a camera around on a, on a, on a circular track. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the ones I always liked were where they'd see it in a really, really high budget movie. Mm -hmm. And then, (laughs) and then they'd say, Oh, well, we want to do that. You know, how much do you have? Oh, $2,000. $2,000. I said, yeah. well, you know, I'd say things, well, you know, that was a $75 million movie that <laughs> was made by, you know, 250 people in seven or eight months. And, you know, you need this yeah. next week? Really? And so, you know, I did the open to the David Letterman show in the late 90s, and they wanted to mimic the shot of titanic with jack and rose up at the bow you Mm -hmm. know and they do this big pull away except it was going to be an irish setter sitting on (laughs) the deck of the staten island ferry and you know they did a whole helicopter shot and everything you know and then i had to build the city behind it that looked like oz even Mm -hmm. though it was new york so the way they shot it they ended up doing a pull out from the dog that you couldn't even tell the dog was on the Staten Island ferry. It was the same color for God's sakes, you know, (laughs) and then they'd pull out to the, to the empty emptiness of New Jersey. And then I built um, Manhattan out Mm -hmm. of still pictures from picture books. It was probably, I probably used about 600 or 800 stills. Wow. um, Because there was no high res at the time. Yeah. You know, so I had to shoot each picture you know, close up in multiple chunks and tile them together. So mm-hmm. like the World Trade Centers were probably six or eight photographs high mm-hmm. um, that were all pasted together. And then I put all the buildings in slightly random different places and stuff. So, it, you know, it said New York, but then if you looked at it, it was like, it doesn't mm. seem quite right, you know. And so that was a big conversation piece, you know, when people looked at the open, you know, that, you know, it didn't, it looked like New York, but you know they'd you know they'd point out the differences and stuff. Well, that shouldn't be there, and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that. They had no budget, of course. You know they had no budget, of course, but you know they wanted the Titanic. Sure, I think you're right, though. That you know, yes, we used to work longer hours. We used to work crazy hours and crazy hours consistently. But there was an adrenaline rush to so much of this stuff because it was new. It was the, like that's the thing I remember. Of course, it was exhausting, and yeah, I missed my kids growing up, and I'm not going to dismiss any of that, but it was like three o'clock in the morning of the second day when you nailed it. You know, when yeah. that feeling when all of a sudden, 
I was t- I interviewed Brooks last weekend and, and he was talking about this crazy job that he worked on. And then all of a sudden you cross that threshold where like everything's going to be fine. Yeah. You know, and you get this second wind. It's like this, the wind fills back in your sails and you just plow on ahead and uh, to victory. Yeah. And, and I still get that rush, although it's, it's slightly different. It's more of a, oh, re- you know, a relief. Oh God. Yeah. I can, yeah. I can do this as opposed to, wow, I've done this. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's now when I have to deliver uh, 35 different aspect ratio versions for social media, I get this feeling, my, my heart, you know, it just, it pounds and I feel like I've, I've actually, I am living the dream. I know what you mean. Yes. So when did you, did you, were you at Post Perfect for the, for like the run of your career and then you went to Lost Planet? No, let's see. I I did Post Perfect for 15 years. Mm-hmm. I was one of the earliest hires and I was one of the last ones out the door. Um, I was even there for six months when there was no more equipment. Um, that's, that's a whole longer <laughs> story that we won't get into. But the fact <laughs> of the matter is that the people who bought it at the very end wanted to create a new company and they were willing to keep paying me to sit there and wait. And I knew I couldn't get another job unless I quit because nobody was going to hire me without trying me out first. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, at that point, I, I was no longer at the, you know, at the top of the heap. I was, you know, kind of getting lost in the middle. Mm-hmm. And um, so I stuck it out until it was obvious that it wasn't going to happen. And then I went freelance for a summer. I think I actually worked at Splash uh, once or twice during that summer. No, I remember you saved my ass there once. Yeah, oh my with God. the horse race. It, with the horse race, yes. Yeah, sure. It was getting rid of like a like a bug, like an NBC or bug, an Olympics yeah. bug or something. Yeah. And I I looked at it and said, this is not possible. And you looked at it and said, we well, just got to borrow from the previous frame. And yeah. uh, and you, you painted it out. And it was, oh my God, that was like 20 years ago. Yeah. In fact, a lot of it, a lot of it is the horses went around the track. It was, it was just white behind the bug and I could just paint it out, you know. Oh just, my oh, God, zip, I can't zip, believe it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So after that that summer of freelancing, that summer of love, did you then go over to Lost Planet? I freelanced a bit at um, V2 and then took a full-time job there for six years with Vito DeSario. Mm-hmm. Great editor. Um, it was a really fun place to work. I worked. Oh, that some- was that amazing space like over now, I guess, where the High Line is. But at the time, it was, that's it right. was in the middle um, of nowhere. That's right. And we had, uh, we had like an, a 10,000-foot wraparound terrace that looked out mm-hmm. over Manhattan. And uh, it was a beautiful space. Um, I got to work with Kieran Walsh there. Uh, That's amazing right. artist. That's right. 10 years my junior, but man, I learned a lot from him. I still, when I get in a certain vein and I'm, I'm trying to think a way out, I, I sometimes just channel Kieran. You know, what would Kieran do right now? You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, find my way out of it that way. Were these the, year, the years when Kieran had an Inferno and a Henry in the same room? He had that for the first year, but the Henry got less and less use. Gotcha. The fact of the matter was he had the Henry because it had beautiful image processing. And the early flame was crap when it came to, especially with interlacing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just horrible. And, you know, a lot of the filtering was terrible and... The the Quantel was beautiful, but of course the Quantel, you know, it did like almost nothing compared compared to a flame. It just looked beautiful. Mm-hmm. So he eventually that that went away, and he stuck with just the Inferno. And then I was mostly on smoke at that point. 
And then we had another flame in the other room. So I would do both. Sometimes on a daily basis, I would switch back and forth between flame and smoke. Every once in a while, we'd get a flame mm -hmm. job that just had my name on it. And I'd, you know, walk away from the smoke for two weeks and just do flame. <laughs> and, you know, I really enjoyed that. But it also brought me back to my more editorial roots, which mm -hmm. is, you know, what I, what I was, you know, I was born to do. Mm -hmm. It was probably one of the best steps of my life to do that. And plus flame had smoke at the time had become very editorial friendly. And so it was really the tool to, to do what, you know, I've been doing since then. Um, you know, it's, that's how you finish spots. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, now the, the current flame actually looks much more like an old, what the smoke used to look like and yeah. functions the same way. The timeline that we have in flame was really developed in the fire and then the smoke. Mm -hmm. And if that's, those, those are the things that really made my, made the job that I was designed to do work the best. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I went freelance for 10 years. Wow. Uh, Lost Planet just happened to be one of my bigger clients. And towards the end of my freelance career, they were my biggest client. And they would mm -hmm. often just say, no, just don't take that this job. We'll pay you because we think something's coming up or we want you here. And then when that started to be unrealistic, I took a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So, But I got to work with a, at a lot of different places in those 10 years. I got to work at PSYOP. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of other places I can never remember. But, you know, I worked at the Artery. I, 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 you know, I'm not a Christmas fan. And one year I un-Christmased so bad that I specifically sought out a job that would keep me busy through the Christmas break. And so <laughs> I, I went and worked. I got a job. Vico gave me a job <laughs> working on a uh, Beyonce pseudo documentary. And so oh, that'll, I, I, that'll I, bring I, out your inner Scrooge. And so I, oh, I loved it because, you know, I got to just disappear into a room when there was nobody else around and, you know, just retouch, you know, Beyonce shots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was fun. So what's the secret? Not facial, I mean, not facial stuff. She, she needs no, no, no. No, no facial work. No, no, that's, it's, it's, nat it's all natural. It's, it's, it's all, a, it's I, a, I got rid of shadows and things. You're born this shadows. way. Absolutely. It was, it was yeah. artifacts introduced by the camera. There you go. So what's the secret? You've had a 40 plus year career. How do you stay relevant? How do you stay current? How do you stay? Well, a couple of rules. The first rule is never expect how it is now to be the way it's always going to be because it's going to, it's not. So you should never invest yourself too deeply in the way things are being done now because they're not, it's not going to stay that way. And so I try to always look ahead. And when something new comes along, I try it out. And if I think it's going to work for me, if it's going to keep me going, then I, I adopt it. And, you know, every, every version of flame that comes out, I sit and go through it bit by bit. And I, I, I try to think of the things that have always bothered me before. And I see if there's something new and different in flame that's going to help me over that hump better. And, you know, most times there is. So the one of the tricks is to always always be looking forward always to be looking at what's coming up new and another trick is to pay attention to other people and what mm -hmm. they're doing and how they're doing and not just look at their successes but look at their failures for the first 20 years i spent looking at the people that came before me but for the next 20 years, I've been looking <laughs> at the people that are coming after me, mm -hmm. you know, because they're the ones who have their finger on the pulse. 
not the ones that are, you know, old guys like me who say, oh, yeah, well, I remember when we used to hang that one inch tape. You know, it's like, no, it's it's like you got to you got to listen to what's what's new and hip. And and that's why I like to li- listen to, to Finn and, mm-hmm. and uh, R- Richard Betts and, you know, and Randy, although, you know, Randy's not quite as young as those other guys, but he's a <laughs> hell of a lot younger than me. Hey, oh. So, you know, those are, those are, I think, two, the two most important secrets. And I suppose there's another one, but I can't really remember it anymore. <laughs> mm. You've always been generous. You've always been generous with your time, with your knowledge. I would have loved to have worked with you over the years because it's I... only, that's only half true. Okay. I was only generous with my time and knowledge for people who actually worked with me in the same company with me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I, I would not be generous with people outside the company. I would guard my secrets carefully. Mm-hmm. And then I guess it was about 10 or 12 years ago. I just started saying, you know, I, why I don't need to keep all this in anymore. I should start sharing it. And so bit by bit, all the tools that I made, I'm, I'm really into my toolboxes. I make mm-hmm. tools. You know, when I see something that I know I'm going to be using a lot for a long time, I, I build it into a toolbox so that I can access it all the time. It's got all my little tricks built into it, like the Repo Master, like the Fluid Morpher, fluid morph. you know, and they go in my toolbox. And when I need them, I pull them out. They're all built. They're all ready to go. Mm-hmm. And so I started sharing my toolbox with people and as well as my knowledge, you know. Rather than just ask questions on Flame News, I would start offering more, not just answering questions, but, you know, saying, hey, this is something I've been doing. This might help people. You know? mm-hmm. It makes the industry move along much better. You know, it's like Sony made this big mistake when they made Betamax by not licensing it to people. And so, you know, somebody said, well, screw it. Here's VHS. They're licensing it to everybody. And so mm-hmm. everybody jumped on the bandwagon and Sony was there holding, you know, a giant uh, factory that made a bunch of cases that fortunately someone figured out they could pack those same <laughs> cases with digital tape and they made digital Betamax. Yep. But uh, the, the, the home version, you know, they lost hundreds of millions of dollars on because they wouldn't share it. If, if you want the industry to progress, you got to share. Completely agree. It's like a chain reaction, right? You know, you show somebody something, and then they get excited about it, and they show something, and now all of a sudden, four people want to go and show something, and then you end up, like you said, you end up learning from the people who watched right. you, and that's how you stay relevant and keep going. How's it been for you during lockdown? Has it been isolating? Lockdown has actually been kind of great. Pleasant. I'm asking this with a guy who, who who went out of his way to avoid <laughs> Christmas one year. <laughs> it's it's actually been kind of you know pleasant from a working standpoint. You know, I live just up the street from work. You know, after a few weeks of trying to struggle on a trash can machine at home, it it was just not working for me. And I just started going back in. And I was the only one there. So what did it matter? You Mm -hmm. know, I, every once in a while, someone else would come by for, you know, an hour or two. But, you know, we had two big empty floors. And, you know, I had the place to myself. And it just made all the difference because I had all of my familiar tools about me. And so I was able to work with, you know, relative ease. And Are then you- Joanne, Joanne, of course, had to buy a, a flame and she works at home. 
mm-hmm. and there's no way the two of us could work here. Not because we don't work well together, because we did actually work together the same company for many years, just just fine together. Mm-hmm. But we don't have enough bandwidth to both work. We'd have to have gotten a whole second line of 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 um, internet. Oh, you mean like internet bandwidth? Yeah. Yeah. Like literal bandwidth, not yeah, emotional bandwidth or metaphoric bandwidth. Right. No, we, we, we need, you know, literal bandwidth. And, you know, uh, what I have here now is a little Intel NUC. It's got uh, CentOS loaded on it. Mm-hmm. And I communicate with my machine at work, but I don't have audio and the playback isn't great. But it's it's okay if I want to bring my work home with me in the evening and stuff like that. But anytime I've had to work while she's working on a job, especially a job where she's using somebody's remote machine, mm-hmm. it's just my screen just kept going bright red and saying, loss of network, loss of network. <laughs> it's like, great. So we could have never survived doing it, doing it mm-hmm. in, the same, in the same room together. So for the, the, let me ask a question of the guy who was born to do this job. Do you look forward to retiring? Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. I love it. Not I at all. I love hearing that. Not at all. I mean, my I'm going to stop when nobody is willing to pay me to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amen, you know, brother. pay me enough that I can make a living doing it. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll do it for a dollar. I'll do it for a dollar. 27 That's versions, $2, $2. Yeah. It's like, no. I'm, and you're buying I'm, lunch. And I'm buying, yeah, right. That's great. I think as, you know, as long as you can find a way to keep it fun, keep it engaging, and keep yourself moving forward. Why you stop? know, I, I don't take any of it all that seriously. It's just advertising. Mm-hmm. I don't believe any of it. You know, it's just, it's just, <laughs> well, you know, what's to believe this, that this is how I learned. This is, this is what made me want to be in the business it, back in the sixties during the space race. The, I, I think we were on Gemini and we had just completed the, the, the first docking of two spacecrafts. Mm-hmm. And it was all the rage. And we were everybody was looking forward to the moon landing coming up in about four or five years. And so all the kids' toys were reflecting that. And so there was this toy, which was a moon lander. And it was this, you know, this kind of something that looked like a little bit like it came out of Kubrick. And it looked like you remote controlled it and landed it on a little platform. And I thought, oh, man, I want one of those. But, you know, my parents weren't, like, going to spend, you know, the amount of money that crap costs. There's no way. You know, I was one of five kids, and, you know, they were two working parents, and that wasn't going to happen. But mm-hmm. my friend Donald, he was he was like the only boy down at, down at our age. You know, all his brothers and sisters were long gone. And his parents bought him everything for Christmas, and they bought him this. Uh, oh, I'm going to check it out. Well, what you did was the spacecraft, we, you blew up a balloon and stuck it in this little basket. And that was the spacecraft. And then there was a little hook on the top and you tied a string to the drapery rod on the other side of the room. And then you hung the balloon on it and you triangulated it until you got it to sit on the, on the thing. It was almost like the, the, the depth test they used to give pilots at World War I, you know, can, mm-hmm. you line the, can you line the two sticks up? You know, so I thought, oh my God, what a ripoff. Who would, you know, what a lying bunch of crap. 
I got to learn how to do that. Yes. I need to be a part of this. I want to be a part of it. I want to fake people out like that. <laughs> you know, I, I may have varied a little bit through the years. Um, you know, I mean, there was obviously a time, well, I want to direct. You know, everybody has to go through mm-hmm. that. Uh, incidentally, you know, for those who say they want to direct, the thing that made me no longer want to direct was spending a day on a set working with a director. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't want that job. No way. I'm, I'm, and, and here we go. Here's that third trick. Figure out what you're good at. You know, there's always the stuff you wish you were good at. You know, I wish I wish I could draw a photorealistic picture with, with crayons and pencils, but I, I, I can't do that. But I can keep track of a million spots. I can look at a picture and say, oh, I can steal this little bit, turn it around, stick it over here and make it look like something else. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, I, one of the things I predicted back in the early days of flame was that one of the big, big uses of it was going to be what we now call cleanup. And sure enough, as soon as they realized you could change the hands on the clock in the background, boom, they boom. had you change it, you know, and, and then it became routine. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they expect everybody to be able to do that. So, uh, you know, back in the early days of Flame, I concentrated very heavily on that. And that's kind of what's sort of been a big payoff. Again, it's one of those things that satisfies me. Sure, sometimes it's really stupid. Sometimes it's really easy. Sometimes that stuff's really complicated. You know, they say, oh, well, you can give cleanup to juniors. It's like, ah, you know, only if you need it done today. Don't need it done this week. You yep. can give it to juniors. But, you know, some of that shit's it's hard. You know, it takes a lot of thought. That's why we all get together and, and chat about these things. How would you do this? What would, you know, what's a good way to make something look like that? Totally. So, you know, think of what you're good at and, and, and stick to that instead of trying to do things you're not good at. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great, man. Thank you. Thank you for sure. taking the time to come on and take us down the uh, memory lane and and uh, share your pearls of wisdom. And I no wish problem. you as many more exciting and fulfilling years in this business as you would like. Well, thank you. Um, I hope to at least keep it up for a few more. (laughs) As long as somebody will just keep paying me. Keep paying you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Andy. You got it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This was great. All right, man. Thank you so much. No problem. And thank you, for me. I will. And I'll I'll catch you on Sunday. I'll see you Sunday. All right. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Everyone knows that Boris FX makes the best plugins in the business. Mocha, Sapphire, Silhouette Paint, Continuum, and the new Optics. You can save 15% on all of Boris FX plugins, either standalone or subscription, by using the code LOGIC-15 at checkout. That's capital L, lowercase o-g-i-k, dash one five at checkout. This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by Cinesis.io. To find out more about their remote workflow solutions, check them out at Cinesis.io. See you next time.